Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill. Each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared stories save lives. Ah, this week we're talking about recovering from alcoholism and how support from a 12-step group like Alcoholics Anonymous can make a real difference. I'd like to welcome Lisa and Lindsay to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, I'm Lindsay. They're both members of Alcoholics Anonymous and will share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Right. Um, Lisa, so growing up, what was your... What was your growing up life like and did you have any alcoholics in your family? Yes, Bill. I I grew up in an alcoholic home and uh, like a lot of kids in that situation, uh, I swore I was never going to drink when I grew up. but uh, unfortunately, uh, what happens in, in Australian society is you go to high school and, you know, you get into alcohol. It's um, in our culture and uh, some of us can't handle it and I was one of them. Right. So um, how did that impact on your life at home when you started drinking? Uh, I think I was – I know I was hiding it. Um, I remember drinking before I, uh, I went to an exam um, you know, normal normal kids don't do that. Um, you know, I started drinking, I think, and hiding it to, to just cope with the stress because uh, home life wasn't great and uh, I couldn't let anyone know about it. Uh, I think denial in my family. I know my two of my grandfathers were alcoholic too, so it's like I'm third generation and denial runs really deep in my family. Yeah. Um, and I understand that you had difficulties with your parents early on. Uh, yeah, my um, my parents' alcoholism, you know, impacted on their marriage, of course, and um, my my mother actually uh, couldn't cope uh, with with family life, and um, actually left us kids when um, when I was about eight uh, for a year. Uh, you know, dad just went downhill from there. You know, drinking, and um, we started living with my grandparents at that time. Right, and one of those was drinking as well. Uh, no, no, uh, that was on the other side of the family. Okay. So uh, that was one of my non, non-alcoholic non grand, grandfathers. Uh, so we did get some stability. Uh, my dad was, you know, living across the road and um, drinking more and more and, you know, lost his licence two or three times in the 70s, which, you know, yeah. didn't happen a lot. So hard, you know, and he yeah. wasn't really trying hard. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, I... I Started drinking probably when I was about 16, 17, really. Um, you know, just going out with, you know, kids and parties and, you know, I had no boundaries at home at all, at all. Uh, you know, sneaking in late and going out and getting drunk. Um, it actually got quite bad um, when I was 19, I remember. Um, I dropped out of uni after a year. And I got severe depression as well, um, which I now know was was uh, exacerbated by the drinking. 
Um, and when I was 21, after a series of very embarrassing and shameful 21st birthday parties, I went to my first AA meeting. Oh, wow. That was, that was early in those days. It was. <laughs> so what was that like? Uh, it was terrifying. Um, I was, as I said, 21. And um, unfortunately, at that meeting, everyone, well, I think there was only one or two women there. The others were men and they were all, it seemed to be, really old and in their 50s. Yeah. Uh, I, I know saw, what that feels yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Present company accepted, of course. Uh, yeah, I'm getting close to that now. So, But, um, yeah, I saw the banners on the wall and I I saw the God word and it freaked me out. I thought, oh, my God, huh, I'm this is a religious cult. What are they going to do to me? I'm in such a wrong place. And I heard the stories and... and you know, the men were talking about losing their houses and their kids and their families and their jobs. And, you know, I was in my first job, wasn't married, didn't have a home, didn't have any kids to lose, and so I could not identify at all. Yeah. And, you know, it scared the hell out of me. Um, and I think it probably, you know, stopped me drinking for, for a little bit. But at that point, um, you know, I thought if I just decide not to drink that night, I'll be fine. And I had no idea that, you know, even just having one drink, once you're an alcoholic, you know, that sets off the whole allergy, um, the, you know, insatiable craving for more and more and more, which I did not find out about for years. So, you know, in vain, I would just try and go out for a couple of drinks or, you know, I'll just have two or three, you know, that never-ending refrain or this, you know, tonight will be will be different, different. Um, and it never did. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, so over to you, Lindsay. Um, so when did you realise alcohol was an issue for you? Oh, look, I, I, um, I wasn't raised in an alcoholic home and um, I was a, you know, like a good boy. I used to go to, yeah. go to school or did well at school, went to university. Um, alcohol didn't really start to become a problem for me until I was um, in my probably late 20s and I started to realise that things were happening that were out of my control and that um, I was having trouble regulating the amount of alcohol that I took once I started and uh, trying to not drink became more and more of a problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're actually working in a difficult industry, I understand. If you're That's right. Being, being yeah. an alcoholic. That's right. Well, um, all the way through university, I supported myself by working in bars and nightclubs and bottle shops and that sort of thing. And the first job that I got after I graduated, because I majored in biochemistry, microbiology, mycology, that sort of thing, was in the wine industry. So I moved to, moved to Sydney and worked for a large wine company there. Um, you know, with the yeast and ferments and that sort of thing, and um, eventually I wanted to get more into the you know the the, the nitty gritty of winemaking and moved to the Barossa Valley, right? And right. I worked for a number of different wine companies, but one in particular for quite a few years. And uh, during my time there, the, the drinking culture in the Barossa Valley is quite active, as you <laughs> imagine, yeah. Yeah. both at work and outside of work. Yeah. And uh, it was a very social environment. I, yeah. I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. But some things started happening that uh, made me realise that I was uh, developing a, you know, um, quite a problem with alcohol. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it was in the form of, um, you know, Motor car accidents and fights and right, um, you know, just being being unreliable, making errors at work, 
making yeah. errors at work when you're I mean, wine making can be very expensive. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, so, what what did you do? Well, there was a time when I made a decision that I needed to I needed to change. I needed to get back to um, the sort of um, you know um, medical microbiology and biochemistry that I had been trained for, and um, I needed to get back to my to home, back to Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, I'd been I'd spent probably ten years in Queensland, in Sydney, and in the Brosser Valley. I needed to come back and sort of make things up again with my parents, who I who I had left, just walked out on, and uh, and I also thought that I needed to get back to a more normal life that didn't involve drinking and uh, a, a type of work that didn't involve alcohol. So. Right. Yeah. So what did you do then? So you I was got work. Yeah. So yeah. you went back to Melbourne. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah, and I worked as a as a. Um, uh, a medical scientist with a, at a large hospital in Melbourne, and uh, um, was doing some you know very um, you know very uh, quite important work that required you know quite a lot of skill and uh, reasonably high paid. And uh, I was able to buy a house. I, I found uh, um, some people say that you take a hostage. <laughs> I'm not sure whether it was quite like that, but. I needed somebody who didn't drink, yeah. um, somebody who was you know, reliable and wanted to, you know, to have a family. And, and um, so my, my life became sort of on the outside, at least very, um, you know, very respectable and, and ordinary. And professional, I suppose. And professional, yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. But um, little did I know that um, uh, what I, I, I had actually become an alcoholic by then i certainly didn't want to admit it to myself or anybody else but i was mm. certainly showing the signs of alcoholism and they manifested themselves in when things when the going started to get tough you know like financially or at work or at home when when things weren't going my way you know when i wasn't things weren't turning out how i expected them to alcohol was always my refuge you know and um that became uh, the, the tougher and tougher things got. Um, the more the more I drank, and the more it sort of compounded itself, so that my marriage started to fail. My wife and my children didn't trust me. Um, I I was drinking at drinking on drinking at work, and I'd been sprung a few times, and my my uh, employment situation was starting to become a bit dodgy, and um, uh, things started to sort of you know, really collapse, basically. Right, yeah, doesn't doesn't sound like it's going in good uh, in a good direction. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, so, Lisa, you got into AA and got sober a bit. So, what eventually, then? eventually yeah. got sober. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, when I first went to AA, I would hear people sharing about how they went to their first AA meeting and hadn't had a drink for you know, X amount of years afterwards. And and I thought that was the norm for everyone that, that came into recovery. And, and unfortunately, that wasn't the case for me. Uh, it took me a lot of goes at AA. Uh, I, you know, would, would go to meetings, but I wouldn't connect with people. I'd, I'd come late or right on time and I'd sit there, listen to it and then leave. Wouldn't talk to people. So I, I couldn't stay sober. Um the thing was I was trying to do it all on my own. Uh, I didn't reach out to people and, and that was why, you know, why I couldn't I couldn't stay sober. And, um, 
yeah, things had to change. Uh, I had to change before, you know, I really got into any decent recovery. Right. Mm. Um, so, Lindsay, how did you get into AA? What, uh, you've, been, you've come into AA a few times. So what was your first... Oh, well, I, it was un, under under protest. I was sort of frog marched basically to my first meeting. <laughs> my, as I said, things weren't going well at home, and my, uh, I, I had sought um, through drug and alcohol counsellors and uh, psychologists and such like. I'd sought some assistance, but I never told the truth to any of these people. They were never able to do anything for me because I just wouldn't be honest. Um, my wife sort of, it was pretty much a, you know throwing her hands in the air and being unable to, to know what to do dragged me to my first AA meeting and that was in 1998 and we went to one meeting and both of us were unprepared we didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous and we were horrified by the by the stories that we heard the uh, just the you know the disasters that people's lives yeah. were yeah. we could never heard anybody speak that way before about their own lives it's not the sort of thing that people normally talk about and we got sort of backed up into a corner after the meeting and the finger was pointed in the chest and we were just out of there saying, I'm never going back there again. I don't need that. I'm not that bad. No, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I'm not like those people. And uh, she, she agreed with me because it was a very confronting experience. But, um, however, an, another five years and uh, five years of drinking and things gradually getting worse and getting worse from... You know, like a physical and mental point of view with me, I was I was having starting to get severe physical and mental symptoms, and more um, you know more dramas at work and more fights at home, and my children weren't talking to me. Um, I think that my wife must have rung the AA hotline or had spoken to members of Alcoholics Anonymous and got some strong advice on how to make this work better the second time. Yeah, and. Um, she waited for until some disaster happened at home, and I can I can describe the disaster, but I won't because it's quite distressing. But um, and uh, took me to another meeting, and this time accompanied me. Uh, and took me to not just one meeting, but to several. Uh, we went to I think probably five meetings together, uh, long enough for me to actually start to listen to what some of these people were saying, and to actually and to relate to what I was hearing to my own life. Uh, the first time around, I was really looking for um, things that would exclude me from this fellowship. Yeah, I wanted to hear all of the things that didn't didn't relate to me. Yeah. And this time, I was able to stay long enough to actually hear some people who really made me feel very uncomfortable about my, my own behaviour. And for for me to act, to get up and share myself at a meeting, yeah. I couldn't get out of it. Um, while my wife was in the room and I had to talk about my alcoholism to her, which I'd never done before. Yeah. And that was a that was a huge thing, you know. Yeah. And um, I stayed long enough to to make some connections with some other people. I didn't come there to make friends, but I, in spite of myself, I found myself relating very strongly to some people. And I started wanting to go to meetings. And uh, the big thing for me was that I was actually learning about my own condition. As a, I'd been an alcoholic for a long time, but I didn't know anything about alcoholism, and I didn't want to know. <laughs> I was in complete denial, and um, going to several meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous allowed me to overcome that denial and to start um, really learning about what was wrong with me. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, I think we're up to a break. Ah, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR on Community Radio 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. 
Uh, we've got nearly 100 episodes of the show available as podcasts, and they're available from our website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. Uh, if you'd like to send us a message, you can either contact 3CR on 9419 8377 or email us at 3 free at Uh We're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. Okay, um, so I'm in the studio today with Lisa and Leslie. They're members of AA and they're talking about alcoholism and recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Lisa, we were talking about you getting into AA and then sort of not recovering immediately, but um, I understand you then went off to um, live your life for another few years before you came back. Yeah, uh, I got myself into rehab uh, when I was 35. Um, up until that point, I'd uh, worked in the advertising industry and the travel industry. I sort of uh, gravitated towards these high-stress, you know, c- um, industries where there was it was very social and a lot of drinking. So, the, yeah, that really helped <laughs> my alcoholism. But um, in when I was 35, I was... Uh, Working in travel, I uh, had a had a fabulous job, uh, fabulous job. Um, but uh, I started, I started um, having panic attacks, and um, I couldn't work out what was, you know, what was going on. Um, you know, I'd been pretty adventurous and travelled the world, and you know, done a lot of things in my life, and and suddenly I was finding it really hard to walk out the front door. Um, my drinking was really bad at that stage. Uh, you know, my life sort of, I'd start out you know, a new job or a new interest or a new course or a new relationship and, you know, start out really motivated and healthy and not drinking and and I'd just uh, pick up a drink and start spiralling down, downwards. Um, I also suffered from depression, which went in conjunction with my drinking. So at the age of 35, I was, I was having awful panic attacks and uh, I resigned my job in travel and... Um, I got myself into rehab uh, for a, a six-week program, a very expensive six-week program, <laughs> um, and it was it was fantastic because for the first time in my life, I'd uh, heard other people who did what I did and thought the way I thought and felt like I felt. So, I think you know the the shock of all that and the relief and and the fun I was having in rehab <laughs> and you know for the first time in a while eating properly and you know being healthy and, and not drinking for an extended period um you know I didn't take in what I could have could have taken in um and I actually did drink um after I got out of rehab and um I went on for the next Let's see. Yeah, about 10 years, um, you know, stopping and starting drinking and um, it just got worse and worse. Uh, and um, I went to AA, I got in in 2001 again. Um, I got sober for a few months and then picked up um, and the same thing happened in 2003. Same thing happened in 2005. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to explain how, you know, I was a slow learner. I wasn't one of those people who went to their first meeting, got it instantly and never drank again, uh, which I found is is um, not the norm. Most people struggle with, with recovery. It's, you know, particularly, you know, when we've been drinking for years and years and that's our go-to solution for, for everything in life, um, 
you know, suddenly you take the booze away. What? What? How do I cope? How do I live? You know, yeah. what, what do I do? It's what's over- the replacement? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't have a replacement, and yeah. um, unfortunately, you know, I I could not ask for help. I found I found it extremely difficult to ask for help. I, I found it really hard to open up and to to um, be honest about what was going on because. You know, I hadn't been honest with myself for a, for a hell of a long time, if if ever, really. Mm. And you know, in my case, I think coming from an alcoholic home too, you know, it was, you know, I was my childhood was full of denial too. So I had to get over the whole stigma thing of having alcoholic parents. You know, trying to pretend that wasn't true, <laughs> and then the shock of me being an alcoholic and my own denial. So, you know, it took a lot of a lot of work for me to really say, oh my God. Um, but um I was at in two thousand and eight, um, you know, I'd, I'd I was in another period of, of active alcoholism, um, you know, also in a major depression as well, which um, you know, went hand in hand with my drinking and I was lying in bed hungover one morning and or one afternoon actually and um I was flicking through the radio and I heard this radio show out of the blue wow. and I recognized someone who was speaking on the show and just you know if any of the listeners out there know what it's like with a hangover and it's just awful and yeah. this voice just cut through that that fog and and I recognized the voice and and then I went oh my god AA and and it was like it all came back. It cut through that denial and, um, you know, a couple of days later I was back at an AA meeting and, and I think I realised or I was ready or I heard the right story. I don't know. Just all the stars were aligned and I just knew I have to do whatever it takes. I can't go out back there again because, you know, I don't know if I've got another recovery in me, you know. Yeah. It gets harder as you get older. You don't yeah. bounce back like you do in your 20s. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I did um, – I heard, thank God, the, you know, do 90 meetings in 90 days, which I did, which and that was just so crucial to staying sober. And, um, yeah, I, I finally, for the first time, you know, opened up to people, you know, just try, just said, look, I've just got to do whatever it takes. And I, and I started talking to people and I got phone numbers and – once you start going to a lot of meetings, you recognise faces and, you know, just you make that connection um, because, you know, coming from feeling so alone and, you know, most of the time think you're going crazy because of your behaviour and, you know, you people say, why do you do it? Why? You promised you were only, only going to have two drinks and you can't explain it because, I, you know, we don't know and... You know, no one really knows about alcoholism. I thought I knew all about it coming from an alcoholic yeah, being home. A drinker, yeah. No, but coming, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, my mum yeah. and dad's an alcoholic, and but it's just such an insidious and they say cunning, baffling, powerful, mm. and you know, it's so ingrained in in the Australian culture. You know, it's mm. the what the only legal drug apart from smoking. You yeah. know, and so you know, it's legal, it's cheap, it's available. You know, it's promoted. Yes, it's yeah. promote, well, the millions they spend on advertising, yeah. I mean, you know, who has a chance? And when you're alcoholic and you don't know it, yeah. I mean, I, I hope one day in the future, you know, when babies get that test when they're born, you know, whatever they do, I don't have kids, yeah. but yeah. they're going to say, oh, here, we have a, an alcoholic here, you know, <laughs> and then eventually they'll give them a vaccine or something. But, yeah. 
you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of treatment out there, but AA works. Um, you know, you gotta you gotta do something about it. You gotta try. You gotta face up to it. You gotta yeah. face up to yeah. it. Um, but you know, once you do um, and accept that you have a problem and that it's a a problem that can be managed. I mean, you look at people with, you know, well, this is a life-threatening illness, but um, there's a treatment and I'm living proof. You know, it's funny that, um, well, not funny, but it's amazing that six years today, it's it's six years ago today since I finished drinking, since I had my last drink. And that's, that's you know, my (laughs) sobriety has lasted longer than my longest job. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm really, really happy in my life today. Yeah. It really helps to understand uh, alcoholism as a disease and disease concept. And, you know, from the family side, from Alan and family groups, um, we see it as a a family disease. So it's not just the the disease of alcoholism in the alcoholic. It's that trans, you know, comes, I don't know, transmogrifies, comes into the family and it it sort of affects the whole family. So all the family members, like you were saying, everybody's denying, nobody's telling the truth. It's very hard being brought up in a situation like that as a child to sort of understand what, what's right and wrong and, you know, how you should act. Well, you don't know because, um, well, for a start, you know, you, you get home from school and, and I remember I I think I, I invited some kids over one day and, you know, my parents, you know, got home, started fighting and whatever and I'm turning up the, you know, the music louder and louder and I never brought kids home again, no. you know. So I grew up, you know, keeping that whole part of my life secret um and you know we just don't know what it's like you know alcoholism is is such an insidious disease it's um you know it's a medical condition but it affects you emotionally you know it affects your material life it affects everybody around you you know it affects your job but you know it's just it goes through society and there's just so much about it that people don't know they don't, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I they often, don't understand. I think is the issue. Yeah, yeah. well, they don't. They don't understand yeah, because that yeah. that information isn't it doesn't get out there. And no. I, you know, I often think, you know, maybe if I'd known more about it, maybe if they teach, you know, in schools that, you know, it's not a disease of willpower. It's you know, I can't will myself to to be sober. And you know, if I've had the experience where someone has tried to stop me in a, the middle of a drinking session, and <laughs> it's. It's dangerous. dangerous. Yeah. It's really dangerous. Um, yeah, um, my sponsor um, says to me, you know, you would have walked over broken glass to get to your next drink. Mm. And I'm, I say, yeah, I probably did quite often because I broke a lot of glasses <laughs> in my drinking. Yeah. Uh, okay, Lindsay. Um, so you you were just talking earlier about just coming into AA after – I think five years, five years between your first That's and your right. second visits. So, um, so what did you learn coming into AA? Oh, well, I um, previously the type of treatment that I sought was through drug and alcohol counsellors and through psychi- psychologists and through yep. my my doctor. All of them were very knowledgeable and very well meaning. Um, but what I discovered about um, Alcoholics Anonymous was that the people that I was relating with there actually uh, had had. Uh, Living um, lived experience, lived, yeah. lived experience yeah. of this, and um, the way that they spoke about it was was totally different. They were speaking from their what had actually happened to them, and the, it just had so much more power for me. And the other thing was because 
because they had the same illness as me, I couldn't. I couldn't lie. You know, I <laughs> couldn't, couldn't lie fall to them. them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, early in my early in my sobriety, I, I um, started uh, working with a new drug and alcohol counsellor who was a member of our fellowship, one who's very dear to many people in our fellowship. Yeah. And um, she was the first drug and alcohol counsellor that I couldn't lie to. She yeah. would not. <laughs> no, she would call me on on every lie. And I was able to talk to her about, you know, things that were happening within my own family and my relationship with my wife and that sort of thing. And she'd say, you know, just shut up, Lindsay. Don't, you know, just keep your mouth shut. Let yeah. things happen by themselves. And there, there were things that I'd never heard before. And, um, you know, the, the, the um, I was just thinking that um, the, the way that meetings are run, the, the, the um, respect that people have for each other, mm. the way that they allow people to speak without talking over the top of each other, these are things that I'd never experienced. You know, I was working in a professional um, job with, with um, you know, doctors and nurses and, and, and scientists and such like. Their meetings were chaos compared yeah. to where Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> meetings because they treated one another with respect yeah. and uh, humility and um, I, I really did start to enjoy and, and my self-respect those Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and um, learning so much about my own condition from people who had it themselves was just so valuable to me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, one thing I found with my father, that once I respected his right to be an alcoholic, then I could, I could cope with him. But when I thought what he was doing, he was doing it intentionally to harm the family, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't do that. But once I realised that he had a disease, he was he, he had an illness, it wasn't his fault. Then once you take away that fault, fault finding, mm. then it's really easy to let someone else get on with their life. Yeah. And we had a really good relationship after that because I wasn't pressuring him to be something he couldn't be, or to do things that he couldn't do. And that, that's really important. Yeah. So I think, you know, at at meetings, just allowing people, you know, the right to talk and to recover at their at their pace certainly helps people to you know, be serious that it's worth doing. Yeah. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to Lindsay and Lisa today um, about alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Um, so, Lindsay, coming into AA, um, things change, but you've still got to cope with with life. So how was that as a newly recovered alcoholic? Oh, that was very challenging, Bill, because um, my belief was that uh, the only thing that was wrong with my life was my drinking, and if I stopped drinking, everything would be wonderful. And um, uh, initially initially it was, it was wonderful to, um, to be able to understand that, yes, my... I, Basically, I wouldn't die if I stopped drinking. That was something that I was yeah. worried about, and I'm so habituated and um, to to alcohol that if I stopped, uh, my heart might stop. Um, that that was it was exhilarating to know that it was possible to be able to you know, physically do this. Um, but on the other hand, life life went on, and uh, the usual challenges uh, that life presents were, were there. And now I didn't have alcohol to fall back on. I had I had become um, habituated to using alcohol in every circumstance where the, the going got a bit tough or things weren't going my way. 
now I had to find other ways of dealing with those circumstances and that was where the main challenges were. And I didn't necessarily deal with those circumstances well. So things in my home life and my working life didn't necessarily improve um, fantastically. I still, I was still feeling angry and restless and irritable and discontent and uh, I was having trouble coping with the, um, you know, with the normal aspects of life. Yeah. So um, what sort of things did you think would improve once you got into AA? Oh, well, um, I knew that, um, you know, the, all the basic things that, to do with um, with drinking, you know, hangovers for a start, that was something that I was really <laughs> glad that, that I'd, I'd gotten rid of. Um, and also uh, my physical health was def- definitely deteriorating. I was, I was finding physical symptoms of, um, you know, like uh, liver enlargement and such like. Those things were... Those things settled down quite well. My mental health was um, suffering badly, and uh, gradually some of that I was I was taking antidepressants and drinking at the same time, which well, meant that yeah. uh, you know they just do not work. Mm. Um, I so because I, I was suffering from clinical depression, um, the medication that I was taking started to work properly, and I started to feel better from that point of view. But uh, my ability to relate to um, to my family members and to my workmates was a bit more challenging because I was more more volatile and um, more difficult to get on with in a lot of ways. Yeah, it still is, isn't it? That's, yeah, it's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Without the alcohol, you're still the same person and yeah. you've got to deal with that those issues. Yeah, yeah. what yeah. did they say, the drunken horse thief? You, know, you take away the alcohol and you're still the horse thief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's a good one. Uh, and uh, and I was still still pretty mad, uh, still a very angry person, feel very resentful and full of fear. Um, but Alcoholics Anonymous um, offers me a program of recovery that helps me to deal with those things. It was something that I didn't feel like as though I needed to do initially, so yeah. my recovery from alcoholism was considerably longer than it needed to be. And uh, people continued to suffer as a result of that, especially especially in my in my own family. Yeah. But uh, the twelve step program that Alcoholics Anonymous um, encourages us to embark on is a direct way of dealing with uh, resentments, fears, and harms that we've done to other people. And um, it wasn't really until I I made a, a good fist of, of doing those twelve steps that things started to really improve. Yeah, that's great. Um, Lisa, when you came to AA the, the last time, I'll say it's the last yeah, time. the last the time. The last time. <laughs> now, not, to, not to try and, you know, um, cast any shadows, but um, you, you found that the people were a bit different than when you first came in, so it wasn't all old guys over 50. No, no, no. Thank goodness. I don't think it was stayed around. Um, when I came came back again, I'd, I'd had a few goes, obviously, Um I got to a, a beginner's group, which was just what I needed, and um, there were quite a few women there. And I don't know, I just it was very welcoming. It was all geared towards newcomers to AA, which was what I needed. And, you know, even though I'd been in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out, um, I hadn't learnt anything about, you know, about what was wrong with me. And uh, having the attitude of I knew it all anyway, yeah. um, you know, I, my ears weren't open or my, you know, I wasn't open to, to hearing much in, in prior times. And look, the stars aligned, the, the right people were there. I was, you know, broken enough 
um, in my in my alcoholism to you know be willing to do uh, whatever it took, um, you know, to take some direction to to finally listen to what other people were saying. Um, I had to put my ego aside. I had to learn some humility, which was extremely hard. Um, you know, they say that you can be too smart for for you know recovery, and yeah. you know, and there's none too dumb, but there's those yeah, too a smart. lot too smart. And I also, um, you know, physically, I would get well really, really quick. You know, not realizing that the mental and emotional, you know, healing took a took a bit longer. But um, yeah, I just um, it was. I think the fellowship part of AA, I, I discovered that for the first time. And that made all the difference to me. Um, the people were welcoming, they were friendly and, you know, I, I could finally, you know, drop those walls, you know, around me that had been there for forever, really. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, um, started to work with a sponsor and actually work the 12-step program um, instead of just, you know, reading it on the board and think that was what it meant when they said doing the steps. It's not just sitting it's in a meeting reading. and reading it on the, you know, reading mm-hmm. it on the banner. That's not doing You have to meet with a sponsor, go through the big book, um, do some – for me it was homework about, you know, for step one, admitting that I'm powerless over alcohol. It was, um, you know, look at the ways that I'm powerless, look at what happened, how I was feeling, you know, um, the things that I'd said I was going to do and didn't or, you know, just the, the recurring, you know, I'm just going out for a few drinks and, you know, you don't see me that night or the things that I missed um, because I was too drunk or too hungover. Just that obsession with alcohol coloured every aspect of, of my life and my being. Mm. And and do you, what do you attribute relapses to? For me, as yeah. I had quite a few relapses, yeah. for me it was complacency. That was my last relapse was from complacency, I would say. I got cocky. I thought, oh, I'm okay now because I've got some sobriety up. I've done the steps. I feel better. My life is better. I can relax a bit. And you can't, you know, you can't relax with this disease because it's always there. It's it's not curable. It's manageable. Um, But I think the biggest thing for me was I finally said I need help. Um, I had such... A difficult time asking for help. I think you know the day that they were teaching how to ask for help in school. I missed that class and never got the follow up notes. And <laughs> and and coming from an alcoholic home too, you don't you know you don't ask for help. You no. know you can't. And um, yeah, that was the first time I actually asked a member of AA for help. And it was actually just with a car problem. I, I cried because it was so hard. <laughs> it was so difficult. But yeah, no, I finally got a great sponsor. Asked for her help at three in the morning and uh, she did and um, I'm so relieved and free and happy today. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so, Lindsay, what's it like now that you've been recovered for a few years? What, how's your life different? Oh, my, my life is totally different to what, to what it was when I first got sober. Um, that was um, nearly 15 years ago and I was... Um, I was still employed uh, in my original job, and I, I look back and think, I, I don't know how they possibly kept me on. Yeah. My behaviour must have been terrible. Um, I was married. Uh, my th- three children were living with us, um, and I, I had I had a house and a mortgage. And uh, many of these things were. I look back now, and I think these were the things that I wanted to get sober to keep. And um, as as 
the way things have gone, you know, 15 years, I've got no older, I've, I've retired now, I don't have that job. Uh, I left that job, uh, I took early retirement from that job because of a, a death in my family that uh, really flattened me. Um, my my marriage has been long, well and truly over. Uh, we've been, been uh, separated, divorced for eight years. Um, and I don't know, sort of say that my, my marriage didn't survive my recovery. Um, I think that she realised that it wasn't just the drinking that she didn't like about <laughs> <laughs> And so now she has another partner and I have a, I have a partner who happens to also be in the fellowship and it's um, we're sort of each of us are better suited, have better suited partners to us than yeah. originally. But uh, I've been retired for five years. Um, during my early recovery, I started doing um, guitar making as a... Uh, as a hobby and also to sort of develop some new skills. Um, I was I was sort of painted myself into a corner with my professional career and wanted to do something totally different. And um, the time that Lisa was talking about when she went to Bali with her girlfriends, I thought that I was going too and found out it was a girls' weekend. <laughs> so I thought, bugger it, I'm going to Hawaii and I'm going to learn how to build ukuleles. And I did a ukulele building course and I'm now... I now find great enjoyment in building ever, ever increasingly better ukuleles and um, I've actually recently completed one specifically for another fellowship member who's a professional player and teacher and that's, wow, the, the, that's um, fantastic. the satisfaction in that is just wonderful. Mm. Um, and, you know, I live, I live a, a quiet and simple life these days. I don't spend a lot of dough. I've got a limited amount of money. I don't have an income anymore apart from my superannuation and pension. And uh, Alcoholics Anonymous continues to play a large part in my life because I've got to a stage where previously I had nothing to give. When I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had nothing left and all I could do was take. Uh, After 15 years or so of recovery, I now have something to offer others who are new in recovery and that's one of my greatest satisfactions. And my my home group, of which I am currently the secretary, is Preston Beginners Discussion Group on Monday night at 7.30. 220 High Street, Preston, just a bit of a plug, <laughs> and um, that, that we welcome people to their first ever meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and we cater specifically for them. It's a discussion group meeting so they get the opportunity to ask questions and questions like, you know, how do I know that I'm an alcoholic and yeah. what do I tell other people about my drinking and um, you know, just simple questions like this that they may not be able to to find the answers to at some of the more the different structured meetings and it's a great satisfaction to to be able to give people at least an introduction at least to start to Alcoholics Anonymous with the right information they don't always come back no you know some some people come to their first meeting they see the word God on the wall wall, and they say this is a religious cult I'm out of here Which and, was uh, what happened to me yep. when I was 21. And then, and then when I was 35, I came back. But, you yep. know, the damage done in those intervening years. Yep. But, yeah, Lindsay was talking about the Preston Beginners meeting on Monday nights at 7.30. That that meeting saved my life. And that's where I really got my foundations in recovery. There's great meetings all around Australia, the world, uh, yep. different types of meetings, women's meetings, men's meetings, and there's LGBTIQ meetings, and there's and there's conventions, and conventions. as well. We love conventions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fellowship is is very strong, isn't it? I, that's one thing that I found too. That I my relationship with my family wasn't particularly good, and what I found in Al-Anon was that I had a lot of people who were closer than my actual family. Exactly. And it's you know that 
that relationship that you build with people who are in a similar situation to you is, is fantastic. It's priceless. Yeah. It's priceless. The thing is about um, addiction, any addiction, it's such a lonely, lonely disease. Yeah. And um, you get into, you know, recovery, AA, Al-Anon, NA, you find people just like you. They've been through the same things you have. They've thought the same way you have. They feel the same way you do and you just have this instant connection. You have something in common and, you know, together we can do this thing. You know, it's too hard alone. Don't don't try and do it on your own. Don't don't make the mistakes I did. (laughs) Don't try this at home. Yeah, Yeah. reach out. Reach out please. And I understand, Lisa, you're doing a bit of study next year to get more involved. Yeah, well, I found, you know, such joy um, in my recovery and also um, I help other women, I sponsor other women through the 12 steps. Um, I've presented at a a couple of um, uh, 12-step workshops and I also am on a rehab and detox roster and I find great joy in that. And so you also do that too, Lindsay. You're involved with rehabs and... With, centers, yeah. Yes, 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 that's right. So I'm on a regular visiting roster for that. Okay. And that's just to, to introduce the possibility that there there may be a solution to people who are in detox and not usually at the, the best part of their lives. No. And, uh, if they can hear from other people who have been where they are and see that there's an answer, it yeah. can give them hope. Yeah. No, I think that's very important, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I think we're just about finished for the day. Um, so if, if anybody is interested in contacting AA, if you think AA could help you, then you can phone them on 1300 222 222 or go online at aa.org.au. Can I just um, suggest another website as well? It's aatimes.org.au, which gives uh, information on meetings and, and events. Okay, thank you very much. Um, that's really all we've got time for today. Um, so thanks for listening to Living Free. I'd like to thank our guests, Lindsay and Lisa. Thanks, Bill. It's a pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing your AA recovery experience with us. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about the impact of alcoholism on families and we'll be joined by some members of Al-Anon Family Groups. Uh, stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks again for listening to Living Free program today. And to take us out, we've got a song called The Last of the True Believers, and it's by Nancy Griffith from 1986. Oh, he said it was the sound of the winter calling. I'm up around the bend, or it could be the cry of your restless heart. Or the love of your long-lost friend. Oh, but me, I think it's just the summertime and the heat of these taxis winds. They keep on a slapping my face with dust so thick that the tears won't roll again. Last of the two believers, if you were weary all alone, you could go home again, home again, home. Last of the two believers, you pack your things and go back home, you could go home again, home again, home. Oh, he said you can't stay away forever, cause they say love doesn't last that long. And the ghost of the one that you love the best is bound to be long gone. So you fall for the one you believe in and take pride in the heart you hold. Cause when the winter time pounds upon your door, it's shelter from the cold. Last of the true believers, if you've grown weary all alone, you can go home again, home again, home. 